I'm Krista, the founder and CEO of Vitrina Group. And I'm Jay, the lead producer of content at Dutchie. And this is Pot of Flowers, the official podcast of Hall of Flowers, an industry-only, highly curated business-to-business show designed to facilitate commerce between licensed cannabis brands and retailers. This podcast, which is recorded on-site at Hall of Flower shows, highlights brands, retailers, and industry leaders at the forefront of the emerging cannabis industry. You can find more information about the podcast and the show at hallofflowers.com. On this episode, we connect with David Schwede. David is the CEO of Heritage Cannabis, and the conversation took place at the inaugural Hall of Flowers show in Toronto in September of 2022. And David... It's kind of an open book. He doesn't mind talking about everything going on at the company and in Canadian cannabis, Krista. Yeah, you know, he operates a company with like a lot of transparency and they they have like a really interesting path in coming from some of the first brands that launched during legalization and then building out their own set of brands and its own company and thinking about always where the holes and the opportunity and the assortment of retailers are is kind of like where they start to identify where they might build brands. So I'm super excited about this conversation. It's a pretty rad conversation, Krista. (laughs) Good one, Jay. (laughs) Let's get to it. Welcome. Hi. Hi. We want to talk about brands. We want to talk Hall of Flowers. We want to talk about the industry, but also relationship with retailers. Um, But before we do, we want everybody to introduce themselves. Okay. Do that. Okay. I am David Schwede. I'm the CEO of Heritage Cannabis. Uh, We rock some pretty cool brands. We've got Rad, which is our most popular for sure. Um, Pure Vita, Premium 5, Pure Pharma, and new that we launched here today, which is Thrifty. And we can kind of tell you a little bit about that. That one's pretty cool. We're proud of that one. And uh, we have one more in the pipe. Maybe I'll share it here. We'll see. Oh, literally in the pipe? It's in the pipe. <laughs> Where is the pipe? Uh, it's in my backpack. <laughs> you were, oh, you were actually being serious. Yeah, yeah. I smelled a backpack earlier. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a, let's actually start there. It's a broad brand portfolio. Yeah. Um, h- how and when Let's talk about how. Yeah. How do you decide to build brands? Are you building them into categories you are seeing? Yeah. Or are you trying to create categories among consumers you know? Like, what do you, what do you, so I think what's it's the approach? A 50-50. Uh, we became all those brands through a marriage. Uh, Pure Vita and Pure Pharma were a part of Heritage before Heritage acquired uh, Premium 5. Premium 5 was Premium 5 and Rad. Um, so slap it together. It was a good marriage in the way that they had gone out originally and they were providing more medically focused products, full spectrum oils, full spectrum vape carts, no added flavoring, no flour, concentrates only. Um, and they hit that market pretty hard. Um, so they were number three in oils in the country. Um, we haven't had to add any oils. That's kind of our medical focused platform. And then Pure Vita, we pushed to be more rec right after that. So in Ontario, kind of the most popular products are Raspberry Hippie Crippler. Uh, tastes amazing. Funny names are obviously winning. Um, but yeah, we basically went and saw, okay, this is a perfect portfolio. Thank you. Um, and we diversified through a little bit of medical, really high THC brand, and then in the middle of like a diverse, approachable, more covers all your basis at a good price. And so we just always make sure we cover the spectrum so we're not leaving anything out. And then premium five, super small segment of the market. 
so that we can still show that we can make good product, showcase product that people can appreciate. If you had to pick one feature that shows up in all of the brands, yeah. what is it? In the product side or in the marketing side? Either one. Okay, so in the marketing side, I notice a lot of copycat stuff going on. There's a lot of me too type. I find that our brands are just always fresh and different. I mean, we put out Rad a long time ago and must have went really well because somebody copied us. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just putting out like brands that are hitting a customer segment so that you can focus in on that segment. So we launched Thrifty and Thrifty is six SKUs. It is two SKUs in live resin, two SKUs in distillate, two SKUs in pre-roll. It's a good portfolio for a store to take on. It is targeted at a group that is going after that price point, but going after quality. And it gets us outside of dispensaries because the brand has kind of a bigger purpose and a more community-focused picture. Everybody says they're community, but they're doing nothing outside of a dispensary. So it gets us the ability to get out of the dispensary. And so we're doing something with thrifted items, clothes, um, antiques, things like that. And it's just like, well, what does that have to do with cannabis? Well, it has to do with cannabis people. Uh, it has to do with thrifty people. And so now you're colliding two different groups. When you're thinking about like the quality is that bring these products to market and you're thinking about like six, why six? Like I know that you said that it's like an easy amount for a retailer to think about from the whole less portfolio. than 60. There you go. <laughs> um, it's, it's honestly, uh, we're high volume categories are the most important. Um, you go and launch, like walking around the show here, there's some cool products, but they're just cool products. They're not products that are going to be cool for a retailer to make money. And they want to make money high volume. When you ask a retailer, hey, you know, how's this going? How's that going? We're dropping a strawberries and cream Tanagar, two gram, smells amazing, tastes amazing, this thing's lights out. And they're like, yeah, we're moving 20 units a week of Canagars. That's how they function. How much am I moving? Velocity. So if you basically- Is that the right term, Krista? Yes, it's the right term. Yeah. Nailed it, Jay. <laughs> yeah, so I, if you give them stuff that doesn't move, it was just a cool idea. So yeah, I, I think that's the biggest thing that for us is just putting out focused in categories that are high volume. Pre-roll, killing it right now. Vapes, it's a knife fight out there. Mm -hmm. So put out vapes that crush it at high temps because that's how everybody's been trying their products. Mm -hmm. The battery education thing is still in motion. Um, and things that have cool names with great, great, great flavor. Name Naming conventions is like one of those marketing oh, yeah. tactics that I think that we missed a lot of opportunities when the products first came to the oh, market yeah. at like the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so how has your approach to naming conventions changed maybe like two years from two years from today versus today? I think we spend 90% of the time naming it and 10% of the time making it. Um, <laughs> That's really interesting though. And we have a whiteboard the size of the size of the, the side of this uh, <laughs> expo hall and everybody just writes down names off of like the basis of the product. This is a strawberries and cream. Okay, name this thing because it's, it's a free for all outside of the regulations, not letting you name it anything cool. So you go one under cool and you name everything that. And strawberries and cream won because it was so basic and, and just explained the product and it seems like that would be a good fit. But there was everything from strawberry sensation to unicorn rocket ship, whatever you could come up with. And then we try to go that route. So 
naming conventions is everything. It seems like everybody wants new stuff all the time. So new names is how we're doing it. Yeah, and I want to think. I, I want to ask you a question because uh, one of the well, one of the unique sort of elements, the promises of the show, different and apart from others, is the idea of bringing brands as exhibitors yep. and retailers to your booth, basically, right? Which uh, sort of cuts down on having to drive to all yeah. those places. But but in addition to that, like I, I want to get your sense, like the show just started, so it's maybe too early to tell. But like the idea of getting conversations out of the show, out of the shop. And into a different environment. Oh yeah. Like I, I just think uh, when I've been at stores and brand reps have come in, like it's it's it, it's great. Like great relationships, great. But like the people at the shop are actually trying to do the shop. Like they're trying to run yep. a, run a business, even if they've allocated time. It's like, you know, it's like having office in your home, right? Like during work from home. Like yep. you're still at home and you're still. But this is like this is a purpose driven event totally. with the right people on both sides it's to have this conversation. Yeah. And it's gets them off of the thing that it seems the most common feedback is we actually don't want you in the store right. because we're trying to sell to people with money right. um, instead of you getting us to sell stuff to us. So we're focused on selling during our office hours and if every brand sends in a rep, we really wouldn't have a lot of time to do the selling part. Right. So we like to be checked in on, we like to be uh, not forgotten. Um, but this show, they know they're coming here to talk shop and to work on learning what else is coming, being introduced to the people behind the brands, the companies behind the brands, uh, and just, it's definitely the best out of the gate so far. My understanding of it, if I could go to a conference today, I think we're at the conference we would pick um, due to the purpose to be here. Yeah. Can I ask another question? Um, no. As you're, yeah, as you're going, as you or or your team are going to retailers, and Krista, you probably have better insight than I do, um, as well. Uh, obviously, <laughs> who couldn't have better insight than I do? Um, but the idea, like when you're in a store talking to a shop owner, and Krista, you talk to, you know, you you are there too. Um, like, how much is it you're positioning them like this will sell? Yeah. Like you, uh, you're positioning for the shop owner, or your or consumers want this. Like you're. Yeah like the sell through the retail. Uh, did I make myself feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. How are you how are you positioning the sale? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So he asked you more first from your perspective. So you lead. Well, I think like one of the things that you're identifying is that it's fundamentally a bit of a different approach than what we had historically done, right? Like when products were first coming to the market, it was just like, here's a product, here are the features and benefits of the product, take it, sell it, do your thing. There's only so many products in the market and yeah. therefore it fills a gap. Now, when there is more competition, we, we, it is a sale. Yeah. And we also need to be providing more information for the retailer to better support their understanding of like how to get the product sold at the store level. It's going to be beneficial for both people. Yeah. You hit it on the head earlier. Velocity is going to be king. And velocity that is driving profitable sales, number two. And so when you're going to the store, yeah. what does that look like? Like, what are, what are you thinking about with your territory reps when they're entering the store and talking about data. the benefits of the product? If you actually have data, I mean, that's your lead foot. Um, back in the day, you were able to sell with hope. <laughs> and uh, now we know, well, I've sold that thing before. Or I've sold a variation of that thing or I've sold that brand before. It just doesn't work in this area or those products aren't popular. 
So now we go in, if you've got a data set, you lead with the data set, hey, this is our number one vape cart in the country, you're not carrying it. Uh, we're seeing you know, two, three cases a week moving. Uh, if you pick that up and they go, yeah, that's actually less than our top sellers right now. And we're like, oh, okay, totally understand. Maybe you bring it in because it would then become one of your top sellers. This is just what we're seeing in other stores. So you're leading with data, trying to get them to grab on data. And then you've also got innovations. Hey, walk into a store, you do like a survey nationally, like is there strawberries and cream in market? There's not, there's strawberry this, there's strawberry that, there's strawberry this. Okay, strawberries and cream, not in their portfolio. Or, you know, unicorn rocket ship, not in their portfolio. So you're building a portfolio for them because they're sitting down trying to build a portfolio too, instead of just viewing everything at them. And then you come in, laser focus pitch. Okay, I will grab those two things, it's not 70. Uh, and on you go. Yeah, I think like one of the things that you're identifying in there also is making sure that we're bridging that like need gap offering. Yeah. And so when a retailer is sitting down and thinking about their portfolio, we might have just said like, how many SKUs do we have in flower? How many SKUs do we have in pre-rolls? Do we have enough to fulfill that? Yep. And now it's like, well, if only 30% of our SKUs are driving 70% of our revenue, which is kind of like what is happening in most retail environments right now, is how do we diversify that and start to get a little bit more out of that middle playground? Like what's happening with those, that 40, 50, 60, the bubble SKUs that can either really improve if we better understand how they are positioned Live within market. <laughs> And or um, from a retailer perspective, like identifying what those are to be able to support the, yeah. the increase in those as well. Yeah, for sure. I think, and that's, it's the craziest thing. Go to the US and it's live, res live resin city. Like everything. Dist distillate's not an option unless it's so cheap because like I've, I looked at a package from California before I came here, I was gonna bring some stuff because it's just kind of funny. Uh, right on the package, no flavor additives, like, this is legit straight from the plant. Like that's how they're selling stuff there. Here it's like, this has lots of additives. It tastes exactly like candy. Um, and that's what's selling. It's like a polar opposite. But you know what's interesting? If we take another look at another market like Michigan, yeah. for example, Michigan, um, there is also a, still a distillate flavor perspective. Yeah. It's actually, I think something which is really interesting for us to think about the, um, education level and the buying path of the customer yeah. and when they get to what point. Yeah. And so we're seeing different turning points with different entry into the market, how long the customer has been purchasing yeah. and their own path. And we're only starting to get that data now, yeah. right? Like we are only at a point now where we're starting to understand how many times a year a customer that yeah. shops with us, what are they purchasing? Are they shopping at multiple locations? What are they purchasing from the two different yeah. multiple locations? Like that, information is only starting to come out now and tells us a lot more about what their decision-making tree yeah. might be um, that we didn't have before. Yeah. And so there's very different trends in decision-making, yeah. um, both regionally and more so like on a geographical scale yeah. that is happening that we we don't talk a lot about. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. And like, depending on where the launch is in coordination to the longest standing cannabis market on its border, and right. the, the trend just follows because they were jumping borders to buy, buy anyways. Right. And so that's where like New York legalizing is going to be really interesting to see how that one pops off. But yeah, up in the Canada side, I think 
it's just very interesting to see that live resin and concentrates here haven't done the upswing that they have everywhere yet. else. Yes, yet. Yeah. I don't know if like my outlook and we're big in concentrates, um, it's it's moving and the, the percentages of growth are high, but it's just taking way, way, way longer. Uh, just purely due to, like you said, like the education around the products and the fact that they are more expensive. Um, and that's a tough sell, right? Hey, try something new that costs more money. That's a weird, like, I don't know if I'm doing it. Yeah. Hey, buy this Jaguar. It's, you've never driven one before. It's more expensive and it works just like the car you have. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. So that's, I well, think people, that's, People buy Jaguars though. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. As, just as much as they're buying live resin right now. You know, one in 10. Yeah. Well, I think like a little bit of it is, what's the definition of luxury? Yeah. And when does somebody make a decision to spend more for something that has a benefit or a value that's really important to and them? And that's why this event is important because there's five, 600 people that can get some information and some direction around a product category like live resin that maybe wasn't there before and understand like, oh, I, I could push this because you know prices are gonna come down on live resin, the product is better from a, a retail perspective because there is more to it. It's uh, obviously no flavor additive, additives, which a lot of people um, have feelings about. Um, but yeah, this one's great because it brings you front and center if you want to move something like live resin and concentrate. So for us, that it works really good. Heard it here first, Hall of Flowers, Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. David, I always I always like talking to you because you're um, oh, well, well you. super knowledgeable. That sort of the those are the table stakes, yeah. um, but really also very open, sort of how you're thinking about the business. And I think that's helpful to us, obviously, because it's interesting, but also I think, you know, our, our, our target for this podcast in particular is is retailers, yeah. right? Because they there's obviously shows like this where they can learn about the brands, there's people coming to the shop, but how do we give them like the next 10 minutes of the conversation, yeah. right? And I think that's interesting to like get into your mindset. Yeah. I think that the, the better different almost silos in the industry understand each other the better it all sort of works yeah. together and like when they're walking to the booth um i'm just like you know what do what do you need from us like everyone says that and you're like wow you know this or that but let's let's chat it right now it's not swag it's not us coming to your store so like what can we really do for you guys to start to build a relationship because there's lots of retailers there's only a couple of us on the floor here let us know. And so now it's just connect and provide value. And so for like our socials, we decided to change up on social. Um, we're not posting pictures of weed anymore and just being like, hey, look, pictures of weed. Um, we just purely are posting interactive or value content, product openings and things like that, because otherwise there's no point in following. Like no one literally wakes up in the morning and is like, oh, I can't wait to see weed. I mean, there's probably some. <laughs> Those people are all in this room right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. But, but the I core think, audience is right here. Right. Yeah, I, I think, though, it, that it doesn't provide them any value from a store perspective. It provides them visual value, weed porn, love it. Yeah. I, I, I open stuff up and I'm like, yeah. wow, look at this stuff. But that's it. Relationships stop. Thank you for making me feel good about weed for 10 mm -hmm. seconds. Right. We got to give them more. And that's where we've started shifting social to like pure value play. Um, if we're not giving them more than 10 seconds, don't post. Yeah. Um, and that's where you're seeing, I think, the learning of the industry is going on providing 
more to the retailer because uh, they're obviously the linchpin of everybody's success. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you so much for stopping by. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. We, uh, we're having fun. so We'll should, come by. We'll, uh, I'll jump back there and start shaking hands and meeting all the wonderful people. <laughs> kissing babies. Yeah, kissing babies. Hopefully there's no babies here. No babies in here. This is a 19 <laughs> plus no event. There's no babies here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. AGCO, seriously, there's no babies there's here. There's zero babies. <laughs> okay, guys, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pot of Flowers. Once again, I'm Krista Raymer of Vitrina Group. You can find me at vitrinagroup.com and on LinkedIn. And I am Jay Rosenthal from Dutchie, and you can find me at business.dutchie.com or on LinkedIn. For more information about this podcast and the Hall of Flowers series of events, visit holloflowers.com. <laughs>